0: means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Minding our business. Back and better than ever. Spring has sprung, the grass is riz. I wonder where Wendy Dees is. There she is, right in front of me. I'm right here. The good doctor from in the, the University of Miami, the queen of sports biz. As we record this in the midst of hosting her own sports business conference here at the U, kind enough to just pull away from panel responsibilities.
2: Taking a break from the action.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not going to hold you much longer. Uh, we'll get right to it and get to our first topic. Take me out to the ball game, Out to the crowd, and let's find out exactly how lucrative... Major League Baseball teams are. Shocking that we're going into a season and a team from New York is expensive. That doesn't move me at all. But what does move me is that the Yankees are worth almost $5 billion. That 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 number did kind of it hit me, and I, I thought it would be a little bit less. But, but tell us why they make all that money, or at least are worth that, that amount of money.
2: Well, whenever you, again, break down the values of teams, you've got a number of different factors in there. You have teams, stadiums, you have their media rights deals, you have their sponsors, you have their player personnel money, which the Yankees are by far and away uh, the team that, that pays the most in Major League Baseball, and that hasn't changed in a very long time. And, again, we talked about this in our NCAA episode. The teams that are winning most recently aren't necessarily the most valuable. And I know the average fan that's that's watching expects to see teams winning championships recently up at the top. But... It really has to do with those you know, four or five different buckets of money where teams generate revenue, and the ones who do that really well, whether they're winning or not, are the ones that are the most valuable. Now, I will say this is a little bit different than when we talked NCAA hoops because we had Louisville at the top of that list, and that's not a team that has... You know, one very recently, and they've had a lot of brand issues with their image. The Yankees do not have that. Uh, They're always historically one of the biggest brands in sports in general. They're always one of the most valuable professional sports brands in the world. And it's not just because of their prestigious image, but it's also because they lead all the teams in terms of those four or five areas where they generate money.
1: And they did a nice job for the first time since 2002. They were not a taxpayer, by the way, for going over uh, the salary cap and still won 100 games, by the way. And and kudos, by the way. Okay, now, I'm baseball freakazoid, right? I had no idea that three teams uh, had more than 100 wins. I I totally forgot Red Sox, who won the World Series, 108 wins. Astros 103 wins and so you can be in these different spaces where you feel like as a fan is my team paying enough to get us the winning team out there most markets know that's not happening and there's just not the basis for that uh, but overall baseball profits uh, have been climbing there was a little bit dip in, in 2017 That's is interesting but uh, was was totally uh, covered up if you will Uh, with a nice surge in 2018
2: yeah with the exception of 2017 Mm -hmm. baseball's been seeing an increase in revenue uh, each year since 2013-2014 it's been steadily uh, increasing and it's going to increase even more because in november fox signed a new seven-year media rights deal beginning with the 2022 season that's worth almost 50 percent more than their current eight year deal. And so people might find this surprising because I hear fans talking about, you know, less people showing up to games and, you know, games being more empty and having a hard time selling tickets. And so I think fans worry that baseball's in trouble. And it, it may be the case that people aren't showing up to the park as much as they used to, but people are still clearly tuning in to watch baseball in very high numbers, or they wouldn't get this massive increase in uh, payment for their rights deal. Well, that's
1: right, the deal coming up in 2022.
2: Yes, Fox yes. and Turner, right? Yes, and it's going to increase. To oh, it's doubling. No- it's doubling. <laughs> it's doubling. doubling. That's <laughs> yeah. unreal. So if you're wondering why baseball's making more and more money every year, and they have since 2014, it's these rights deals are escalating. And so people are watching a lot of baseball. They're just not necessarily sitting in the stands.
1: So here we go. As we wrap up this uh, particular topic, uh, our lead off of the high five uh, this month, Uh, the Yankees are the most valuable team. Let's go to the other end. The bottom six teams, I'm associated with two of them. The Miami Marlins, right at the bottom. Preceding them would be the Tampa Bay Rays, the Oakland Athletics, Kansas City Royals, my Cincinnati Reds. And uh, the Baltimore Orioles, get your act together, people. Let's go.
2: Florida baseball is in a bad place right <laughs> yeah. now.
1: It's fatigued after spring training, so they can't they can't get it done. Uh, but there's uh, one, two, three, four, uh, let's call it five with the Yankees teams were three billion dollars or more with the Dodgers, Red Sox, Cubs, and Giants.
2: And think about this: the average major league baseball team the average team is now worth 1.78 billion dollars eight percent more than a year ago so even though there are a lot of teams down there at the bottom not doing so well overall things are looking good for baseball owners
1: next topic the tradition unlike any other hello friends it's the Masters on CBS. With you all do that so well. Oh, I, oh, I'm ready. All right, listen. Anytime, Nance goes down, I'm there. I'm there. Watch
2: out, Jim. Nance. someone's yeah, yeah. coming for your job. Yeah.
1: Or Bill McEnzy, who thinks he's sitting right there, ready to go. But it's uh. It, listen, uh, you and I are both golfers, and
2: we're not good golfers. No,
1: no. Well, you are. Okay, you've got. Please get into, what, your Twitter handle. Uh, what's it again? It's. Get these mind.
2: tweets. Say it again. Get these. See, tweets. I got like to
1: do it. Diving into. The first major of the year. And by the way, the calendar is so different. You got to get ready because this is a, a cavalcade of big tournaments coming down the avenue. March was the Players, then that which is moving from, which moved from May, and now you've got uh, the Masters, the PGA Championship sitting in May, and then obviously June and July. You've got uh, the U.S. Open and the and the Open Championship, but the Masters really starts the whole vibe, and. There's just so much mystery behind it that I wanted to pull the curtain back a little bit, and you got some fun facts dealing with first the money behind the Masters and then also some really neat nuggets uh, that we unearthed, uh, just about kind of what happens when you get down Magnolia Lane there in Augusta, Georgia.
2: So I've been to Augusta many times. Bracker. I used to yeah, I used to live about Bracker. an hour outside of Augusta. So I had the pleasure of going there and laying and rolling around the grass. It's incredible.
1: Wait a minute. Did you really do
2: it? I did. did really I oh, oh I went on a practice round day and I laid grass. You were not an
1: excused patron at that point?
2: Oh my gosh. I made <laughs> grass angels in the it's unbelievable. There's not there's not a mark on any fairway. That's it's fair. it's amazing. It's a magical place. It should be a bucket list item for any sports fan. <laughs> But for golf, this is definitely a gem, even at the, the level of all the major tournaments, because it's at Augusta every year. And everyone knows that Augusta is so prestigious and everyone knows there's a lot of money flowing through Augusta, but they're very good about Augusta keeping... National. Augusta National. Because the
1: city is stuck in the game. Not,
2: not, the, not
1: the city. <laughs> the city is stuck. But anyway, yes.
0: <laughs>
2: if you, as soon as you walk off the property, it's a whole different ball game, people. Oh. Um, Augusta's really not a lot to look at. Yeah. but. Augusta National does a really good job of putting on this amazing, very wealthy sporting event, but they keep it uh, kind of low-key in terms of how much money they make. So it's hard to find numbers on the Masters, but they're reporting roughly $115 million in revenue each year off the tournament since 2015. So, What
1: private club has that, by the way?
2: I, I, I don't know. Probably none. Probably none.
1: none. <laughs> it's a, aside from the dues? I mean, like, come on.
2: That that's not a stat that we looked up, but I'm pretty I'm We're pretty confident in that guess. None. Right.
1: All due respect to Rivera Country Club, just a stone's throw from here.
2: So, but the interesting thing about Augusta is that they're making all of that money, but they're actually doing that, leaving so many dollars on the table. Uh, People talk about the fact that the tickets to get in Mm -hmm. can be very inexpensive, and I can attest to that. You can get practice round tickets if you put your name in the lottery and and get those tickets for $50 uh, for the day for practice round badges. Now, obviously, you know, tournament badges are, are different. Darren Ravel every year takes a picture of the concessions menu to show people how inexpensive the food is there.
1: ESPN sports biz guru, by the way, just so anybody doesn't know.
2: Yes, he's he's yeah. moved to Action Sports Network. Remember, yeah. he's yeah. not yeah. with oh, ESPN anymore. So we want to make bad sure bad habit, bad habit. Darren, we want to get that right. Yes. Exactly. Send everybody that way to follow Darren. But yeah, you can add up all of the food and all of the drink items on the menu, Sands alcohol, and it's like less than fifty dollars if you bought one of everything so the food is very inexpensive they have an absence of online merchandise tickets are, are inexpensive to practice around so even though the masters is making all of this money there's a lot of money that they leave on the table so that the fans can have an amazing experience and i think it's a really start, smart strategy jacks because they get the highest of highest executives and uh, fans and uh, people that Come to the event, but they make sure that the average fan can also get to Augusta National to see the tournament. But if you're wondering what the breakdown is of the 115 million, merchandise is 47 million of that 115, tickets around 35 million, international TV rights fees are 25 million. They don't have uh, domestic rights fees. That's an interesting setup between the Masters and I believe it's CBS. And then concessions, they make about $8 million. So that's the breakdown of that $115 million. Now, if we are talking about the real deal four-day badges... Those can go for up to six thousand five hundred dollars. Mm. So they 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 are making they're money. Okay. They're doing okay. You there and your are $50 people
1: shout out right. There are people <laughs> paying top dollar
2: for the Masters, but you don't have to pay that to, to get there.
1: Before we get to uh, Masters facts here, uh, I do want to congratulate Delta Airlines for joining this very uh, exclusive group of sponsors for the Masters on CBS.
2: One of um, only six. Right.
1: That that was what. So UPS, AT and T. IBM, Mercedes-Benz, and Rolex. And for becoming a, a member of this very exclusive club, all you have to do is spend uh, six to $8 million. <laughs> and you're in. You're
0: That's in it. the
1: club. That's Come it. Come on. We're not, listen, we're not going to have commercials over the top of the hour, thanks to our good friends at Delta Airlines.
2: Only? <laughs> Four minutes of it's ads always... per broadcast hour, and oh, per hour. Jax, unbelievable. Absolutely no signage on the course. So think no. about as a sponsor: if someone says it's only going to cost you six to eight million dollars annually, yeah. you're all going to split only four minutes of ad time, and you can have no signage on the course. Are you jumping at that deal?
1: Uh, how only do you for get, that.
2: How do you get exposure?
1: Only for that tournament. That's it. Because you are so as a viewer. And I thought about this years ago. You're so drawn in that those four minutes, you're still locked in. Whereas in other spaces, you probably can't even get a good feel from a data standpoint of how many people are actually staying around for your ad. But then again, you you know what? Let's think about it differently. I've been locked in for 56 minutes. I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> You're so not, I might miss your ad.
2: You're not seeing any of those Delta ads because you're always in the bathroom on the skidown. commercial break. Oh, same thing sure. Same thing with the Super Bowl. You didn't see any of those ads. But it, it is interesting because it is kind of an opposite effect of what sponsorship researchers are used to, to looking at where – Sponsors are paying for more exposure and they're paying to be everywhere and activate all over the place. And this is the opposite. This is a very exclusive tournament, if if not the most exclusive. And so... People are watching the event for the whole hour. They see very few commercial breaks, and it's more of uh, the fans being appreciative or attributing not having to watch commercials to these six sponsors stepping up to the plate and paying for the broadcast. So they kind of go with an opposite strategy of thanks to our six very important partners, we're able to put on this very nice experience, even from a television standpoint, where... Uh, You don't have very many commercials, a.k.a. bathroom breaks.
1: Next topic, same place. Some really cool numbers dug out by the doctor as it pertains to the 2019 Masters Tournament. Give us a a nice, since we do five things around here, Five Reasons Sports Network, shout out. Give us five solid nuggets that you found uh, as you were digging through some of the massive numbers that uh, are connected to this tournament. Okay, so we talked about championship. I'm sorry. I, you know, the thing about the Masters, they make you, you can't say rough, right? Primary cut, right? You don't say fans, you don't say patrons. I don't think they say tournament. I believe they call it the championship.
2: So. You just lost your job. You're I, not I, getting now, Jim Nance's I'll job never... now cuz you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you are doing so, well doing so well. At the well top thought. of the pot.
1: But I've heard people like on the like their first Masters and they don't like they catch themselves, you know, cuz you don't want to get the Gary McCord treatment who once, I think, referred to, was it the Greens as being bikini waxed? They were so fast. Oh, And he I, hasn't done a Master I sense. don't
2: know. I think he should bring that commentary back. That's,
1: <laughs> spice it up a little bit. Oh, he bit. never will. He actually put it in his deal to change the whole vibe that he does not do the Masters. It's actually in his contract so that it didn't feel as nasty as it was because he's not permitted, by the way, to do it.
2: That brings new meaning to <laughs> Amen Corner, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Mercy. Go ahead. <laughs> okay,
2: so so five quick cool nuggets. Let's talk about the economic impact because even though I would argue, we've said in other episodes, that the economic impact at, at events like the Super Bowl and the Final Four aren't as big as they say they are, I would argue this is different. When you're talking about the economic impact in – augusta georgia i honestly believe that this tournament does have this impact because there really aren't any other times when people are going to visit augusta georgia so the economic impact of the masters on the augusta area economy is 120 million plus dollars if you want to know where that comes from and i'll keep going down your your five fast facts. (laughs) 250,000 people visit the Augusta area each year for the Masters. Even in little Augusta, Georgia, I don't even want to think about the types of hotels they have around there. I'm sure they have better ones now, but they have an 89% occupancy rate for 7,200 hotel rooms in Augusta, Georgia that are all completely maxed out uh, for the Masters. And This is where I say I really believe that there's an economic impact here because over $300 is the average price of a hotel night in Augusta for the Masters. That is 3.7 times more than it is the very next week when the tournament's gone. So that just shows you this is not an area that people visit unless this type of event is happening. So I really, I'm much more apt to believe that the Masters would have a hundred plus million dollar impact on a city like Augusta, Georgia. I'm really not buying that, you know, the Super Bowl or the Final Four, you know, is having a hundred and something million dollar impact on Minneapolis or Atlanta or Miami because people visit those cities all the time. And so, but for a small area like Georgia, this is a huge event in terms of what it pumps into their economy.
0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
2: And then my last nugget, my fifth nugget, is that quietly also behind the scenes, uh, the folks at Augusta National have purchased over $200 million in neighboring real estate, all adjacent to the course for who knows what type of expansion of this event in the future. So I kind of joked about the hotels and and the complexes uh, around there for entertainment, but that's obviously all going to change dramatically in the years to come if they have $200 million of real estate to now work with.
1: We talked about how much money was generated from just having the masters, but there's a boatload of cash that's generated when You just join the place. Now, it's not a bad number to sign up. I know there are places here in South Florida where you you got, you know, six figures to join a club. So, with that in mind, it's air quotes just $30,000 as your initiation fee. But the reported annual dues for members at Augusta. $2.2 Two point two million dollars, and there's three hundred members. That's where they get you with the dues. It's a <laughs> yeah. bait. It's a bait and switch. It's usually one or the other. They're going to get you either coming or going. I was thinking
2: about joining when you first said the thirty thousand, but then now I don't think I can join.
1: You would be uh, the fifth female member, by the way.
2: Me and me and Condi would be playing <laughs> some rounds <laughs> there, having a great time. But I don't. I don't think that's happening anytime Secret- soon.
1: Secretary Rice, as well as Ginny uh, Romney Romney, I should note, uh, Darla Moore and. Diana Murphy. Soon to be Wendy Dees on that list.
2: Very jealous of those ladies, but I'm sure the things they've accomplished to get in there, well well worth it. So congrats to them. And Augusta National hosted this year for the very first time ah, yes. the Women's Amateur. And so I was watching that, and that was just for a female, um, that was just so incredible to watch. They started off the tournament in the exact same fashion that they do the Masters. So a lot of the previous winners, you know, Bubba Watson and uh, Jordan Spieth and, and all the legends, they were there in their green jackets for the ladies to tee off. And that's that's incredible. So props to Augusta National for doing that. Long time coming. But that's a big step for women in the world of golf.
1: Absolutely. All right, next topic, the departure. Of the greatest player in Miami Heat franchise history, has been great for business. Apparently, for Fox Sports Sun, as a part of uh, the Heat family, Heat culture, Heat Nation. Uh, it, it's a it's a tough time trying to think of what's next. And, and thank goodness we don't have to do that until you know we get to the draft and then to free agency at the end of June and the beginning of July. But right now, we'll talk about Heat TV ratings. Uh, for those that don't care, too bad. This podcast radiates from the magic city, Miami, Florida. So this has been huge locally, but obviously this has been a, a big national story. But from a regional standpoint, that legacy night in Miami, that second night uh, before the end of the season, Dwayne Wade's regular season finale in Miami was the most watched game of the season with a rating that was almost three times what it usually is and the highest rated program of the day in all of South Florida, okay? Okay. Let's do this one more time. It was the highest rated TV show. Only the NFL does that on a national level. There's probably some local markets that have that happen. Probably the majority of the NFL. But come on. I mean, it's it was the most watched he came in, in, in three years and it's well it should be 3 right of course all things 3 with 3 all things late.
2: 3 even even um, 3 reason sports networks yeah. recently in case anyone was paying attention to that so nice uh,
1: <laughs> that was a nice little caveat Yeah, absolutely nice little caveat, but think. when i was uh, in the midst of the run uh, with the big 3 i had a friend of mine who would once say you are on sports center more than when you were on sports center <laughs> just running around those guys uh, all the time this felt like then that, that those two nights Uh, the night we're talking about that's already rated. We haven't gotten news yet on that final game in Brooklyn as we record this uh, uh, in early April. But it it is amazing one and really not unexpected.
2: Not surprising at all, I don't think. Not not surprising at all. And to go back just a little bit, Jackson, you, you experienced all of this, obviously, but I don't know if you were even in tune to how many people were watching at home because that's the the part that you're probably not as privy to. But when Dwayne Wade returned to Miami, if you are wondering about what the impact was of his return home, through the first three games when he returned – last year viewership was up 74% over the full season average, you know, previously when Dwayne wasn't there. So the impact it had on people watching these games is just incredible. I mean, to move the needle 74%, I can't even wrap my head around (laughs) all of those people coming back to watch Heat Basketball for that one particular legend, and he's so beloved in in Miami. And um, it was just an incredible celebration uh, watching him play. But we have to also think about this could be a precursor to the post-Dwayne Wade era don't do it are, to me doc don't I'm do sorry. it to me i'm sorry no, are, go ahead give me, what, a, give what me a vibe are, what are ratings going to be like and yeah. and what what is the heat going or what are the heat going to have to prepare for next year the reality that this star changes things dramatically on the rating side on the revenue side you know we don't even have to get into we the, put merch- a motion the sensor, merchandise. motion sensor
1: motion sensor camera in his home in los angeles and we just take it in a, in a <laughs> box two box on the screen right i mean that's what we got to do yeah,
2: so the reality of this is it's beautiful when he's on the court, but there's certainly going to be a negative impact uh, business wise moving forward. And who's going to fill that role? Is yeah, that, gonna be, that
1: listen, gonna there's going to be. Like? Listen, there's a lot of people that want to, but it takes winning and it takes longevity. And the thing that I think was most impactful for people with Dwayne is the, the totality of him. It wasn't just the fact that he was one of the great players of his era, therefore, one of the great players ever. Just an awesome dude. And he like was not perfect, not even close. However, he owned any mistake, and there weren't that many. And then the next layer was he constantly impacted people. That's the thing that radiated to me most in that Anheuser-Busch ad that they put out. You want to talk about being jealous uh, of, a, of a great story? Uh, that that was an emotion that came later, because I was balled up, because I saw it early, 9 a.m. I think it uh, rolled out that morning in before— the morning, yes. Uh, The game in Miami, the last game in Miami. And uh, I have no problem saying I was still in bed. And I saw a tweet from a friend and colleague, uh, Tim Reynolds from the Associated Press, that something was coming up at 9. And I had all this information, by the way, in my email box. I just had to look from the previous day. Because their marketing arm was kind enough to let a lot of people that cover the team know. Just to create some buzz, and it was all embargoed, so it couldn't say anything. I could have seen this thing like a day before, and I didn't. I saw you it with could everybody have? saw it with everybody Oh, my else.
2: God. Missed opportunity yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: there. No, no, no. Listen, look at your work emails, people. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> there's something good in there. And so uh, watching th- those five individuals tell their story about how he impacted them, uh, and uh, not least among them, his mother, was moving. If you haven't seen it yet, there's something wrong with you, but just go to, uh, just go to the World Wide Web <laughs> and put in, this one's for three. And uh, it's unbelievable, really what he's been able to do. It's not unbelievable. It's just amazing. It's, it's when you put your mind to it, uh, that family that they that, that was just three under the tree. Philanthropy idea that kind of rolled out of his Wade World Foundation stuff, Wade's World Foundation stuff, early in his career, where he just identified a family, their house burned down. It was almost Christmas time. And he gave them Christmas and how that changed and, and triggered everything in the life to the scholarship to the young man that he didn't even know, really, that just by being who he was changed the way this kid saw the world and ends up uh, signing and handing him his first jacket from his first interview. I'm getting balled up thinking about it now. And then just when his mother, Jolinda Wade, is there talking about how her life turned around because of just him not giving up on her. Are you kidding me?
2: Don't do this to me now. <laughs> Listen, I just dried up after the game the other night. We said we weren't going to do this. Fair enough. I thought we had, I thought we had a pack. But and yeah. and I'll just speak from a brand standpoint yeah. that you said he's an incredible person but he developed himself into an incredible brand everything that he does in fashion everything that he does in entertainment everything that he does in his philanthropy everything that he does in basketball he was one of the pioneers in signing with leaning and going with a brand that that made him global and in stature and so he just did so many things and was able to do so many things because of being a great person but because he was also such a Shrewd businessman and a smart marketer and and brander, and maybe had great people around him, you know, helping him craft this brand. But he's turned himself into a global brand, and so it was a perfect match for Anheuser Busch oh. to do this spot with them. And from a marketing standpoint, Jacks, you had millions of people watch that. People were commenting on the fact that no one watches long-form videos anymore for ads. No one's watching a four-minute ad oh. and everyone was was watching this and it went viral and t- tuning in for the whole four minutes and I think I think everyone was really moved by what he did and um, that was branding wise that was incredible by Anheuser-Busch and oddly enough I found out a couple of days afterwards once mm-hmm. it was already a huge hit it was actually filmed in the Watsco Center here on campus really? yes
1: Yes. That's amazing. Okay, I can see the edit now. I see where the edit was. Yes. Because you have yes. that, bi- that high angle. It looks like he's walking on to the court in American Airlines Arena, which is probably they did shoot that. But then all of the actual interaction occurred at Watsco.
2: Yes, and uh, of course, if if the Heat are preparing for his big, huge celebration, right. they couldn't probably, you know, get the court ready yeah. for a and the
1: 900 concerts that come through there. Exactly, exactly, right. exactly. And then we we have
2: a much more let's call it an uh, an intimate atmosphere <laughs> at
1: the Watsko. That was very kind.
2: And we were really. also done with basketball, yeah. um, so we won't get into all that. But yeah, really, that's kind of that was kind of touching to me that that was filmed here, and we played a small bit part in that, but. Just incredible, incredible um, career for Dwayne Wade, and then we'll have to pay attention to the Heat's business next year and what happens.
1: As we always do, without a doubt. Doc, we forgot our high five. There it is for the fifth topic, and it's coming up right now as we bring it on home uh, for the April edition. Let's talk about what happened with the NCAA tournament. There are two ways to tell this story. The final numbers for the historic uh, championship game with Virginia winning their first title ever over Texas Tech. It seems like there's some good news and some not so good news. So let's kind of flush it all out exactly. What's the best way to read uh, the viewership and how that impacted uh, the success for particularly CBS that holds the the, the last weekend?
2: Well, I think the, the vibe that I got from listening to fans and reading through social media posts is that everyone kind of thought that this was going to be a boring defensive juggernaut of a game and there was all this talk about lack of excitement and a Zionless uh Final Four and, and that type of thing. But the ratings didn't really indicate that people weren't interested. In fact, it the ratings were not bad. So the ratings all the way through the tournament with Zion and Duke present were obviously through the roof. So, you know, the games were were widely watched the Duke-UCF matchup with Taco Fall was probably the height of the tournament. But even when Duke and Zion went out and Virginia and Texas Tech played in that championship game, it pulled a 12.4 overnight rating for CBS for the championship. And, you know, to put some perspective on that, I think People were expecting this to be a very low-rated game. But actually, in 2018, the Villanova-Michigan title game was the lowest-rated and the least-watched men's basketball championship ever. 9.2 overnight rating, uh, 15 million viewers. And so this Virginia-Texas Tech game far surpassed that. And actually, if we look at the late semis and the early semis ratings... They were up also from last year. Uh, So CBS had to be pleased with the ratings this year uh, because the games were great. Lots of people were tuning in. And I think what may have put the Virginia-Texas Tech game over the hump is that you had two teams vying for the first time to have a national title. And what's not exciting about that?
1: The thing that was interesting to me is the markets that have to hold it up is that you're not getting juggernaut markets. Uh, top five markets in viewing were in reverse order. Uh, Kansas City, Louisville, Minneapolis. Folks are like, what's going on in town? Let's turn it on. Uh, that's the way to do it, people. Don't go watch that thing in the stadium. That's another podcast, uh, our NCAA special. But uh, Norfolk and Richmond. My point being, these are not the biggest markets in the country that are, like, kind of lifting this. Those were huge numbers for all those markets, of course. Uh, but th- that... That says to me that, you know what, there's still some more room to go. Uh, it'll be interesting when you do have a team, will UCLA find its way back and therefore bring in a huge Los Angeles market? Uh, anybody that you know is on the northern east coast rather than the mid-Atlantic, do you start drawing in those New York markets? And it's just these major colleges oftentimes are in very small towns that find their way into the tournament when you start thinking about Duke and Carolina and Kansas. And so it does require – either a great story or a great player like Zion, who obviously drew everybody in until the team was gone, to get these major top five markets involved and really pushing these numbers through the roof.
2: Yeah, and if you look historically at the ratings and viewership, interestingly enough, the 2015 Duke-Wisconsin National Championship game ranks as the highest in the last 20 years. Um, So I thought thought that was interesting, the Duke-Wisconsin matchup. And then the all-time record high rating, a 24.1 rating and 35 million people tuned in back in Mm. 1979 for (laughs) Michigan State, Indiana State. But this Virginia-Texas Tech game was right up there with a lot of highly watched championship games. So I think people just... They love the tournament. It's a championship game. They're going to tune in. We had two first-time contenders. Great storylines with Chris Beard and Tony Bennett and both of uh, their teams and, and what they had had gone through to get there. And like I said, crowning a first-time winner is a really big deal. And the game ended up being, you know, a pretty high-scoring game for right. two defensive-minded teams. And so I think people talked a lot about – the game not being exciting, but then in the end, everybody was excited to see who was going to win. It's
1: still the championship game with great Thanks. stories and compelling leaders, and so it ended up elevating what CBS was dragging themselves through. I really, and we should know, and this is an important note that we got from one of our media-watching friends, last year's tournament was also on cable versus it being on network television, and there's still a $20 million Home gap. So, and I always think about when they're using homes. How many viewers are in a certain room watching these major events? Maybe not regular television every single night, but there's usually you know two, four, six, maybe even having a party, and that's the layer of uh, measurement that Nielsen can't provide. Exactly. Uh, so, I believe that's yet another podcast. I, we keep getting these topics as we uh, find ourselves, like, rowing down these tributaries. But great job. Per usual, our high five is through. And so for Dr. D's, I'm Jason Jackson. I always mind your business. <laughs>